Guru Nation, welcome to four, episode 469 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, this is actually our monthly webinar, our final webinar of 2020. What has been a uh, crazy historic year, to say the least. Uh, we talked about technology in clinical research and the practical impacts of technology, because at the end of the day, when you strip away all the hype and all of the buzzwords surrounding technology and all the hyperbole surrounding technology, what you really are left with is what I think will remain, and that is practical solutions to solve problems. And in this webinar, we discuss some of those, the potentials for some of these, the real-life potential for some of these from the perspective of sites, sponsors, CROs, CRAs, just the industry in general. I came up with, at least I think I came up with on the fly, uh, the concept of the great convergence, which I'm kind of excited to write an article about on LinkedIn, uh, inspired by this webinar. Basically, it's where the EDC and the eSource are going to eventually integrate, I predict, by 2030 or sooner. So I'm looking forward to writing that. I'm going to be writing that article hopefully before the new year and release it on LinkedIn. Uh, in the show notes, you will see the CRA Academy, the CRC Academy, the links to the social networks, especially LinkedIn. Make sure you go add me there. The Patreon channel, five bucks a month, monthly masterminds, weekly posts regarding opportunities, how to increase your opportunities check that out uh and let me know what you think about this episode let me know your thoughts i this is just an opinion myself and chris's opinions uh separate opinions in some cases let me know yours i want to hear what you have to say just text me 949-415-6256 yes that is my phone number yes i will reply if you text Everybody have a great new year. Talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the December 2020. Uh, this year is finally over, guys. We have like a few more days. And we decided to do this webinar uh, on technology, practical technologies for the future of clinical research. And the thing about this is, you know, when it comes to technology, everybody in the industry loves talking about technology and the potential for what can be done, and everybody likes to speculate. But at the end of the day, what's going to make this stuff important is, is it practical? And uh, so far, we've seen eSource maybe tackling that practicality issue. But when it comes to telehealth and remote monitoring, those things, what we've seen, okay, at least from the site and the CRO level, and I've talked to many at the sponsor level, it's a great idea. However, things run more efficiently when there's actually traditional monitoring, on-site monitoring, and the patients are seen in the clinic. So uh, we're going to get practical about these technologies. We're going to kind of try to speculate on the future of research. Obviously, there is no stopping technology and progress, but we need to slow everyone down 
you know, people get way too excited about this stuff and start jumping to, con- to conclusions about how radically transformative these things are. And I see them as transformative, but I don't see them radically. I see them changing the industry slowly. And Chris is here. What do you think, Chris? Do you, you agree or you disagree? I mean, feel free to share your two cents. At the end of the day, this is all just opinion. Sure. And uh, I'm not going to really comment on what you had just said, but I did speak with um, somebody that was interested in one of our services yesterday. And she had mentioned the video she had watched the computer stand in which um, you had made a statement, according to her, that technology was going to cut down on the timelines of bringing drugs to market for sponsors. Um, and she wanted to know how much that was going to uh, affect the industry, right? So would there be less need for CRAs if those timelines were cut down? Um, I don't right. know what she's referring to. Maybe you do. In which you have the- yeah, I do. I do. This is the classic uh, I'm afraid of technology from a defensive standpoint. The way I look at it and the way I've been hearing about it from people at sponsor companies is if technologies, this is a big if, by the way, but if, this is the idea that technology is going to shorten the amount of time it takes to do a study. What they are going to do is just do more studies because what if nine out of 10 trials don't make it past phase two to phase three, something like that. I don't know the exact numbers, but the majority of trials never make it to the next phase, right? There's either a safety or an efficacy issue. Usually it's efficacy, lack of efficacy. Uh, so what they're going to do is fail faster and do more studies. So I don't think it's going to change the demand for CRAs. You can argue that it's going to require more CRAs because they're going to be doing more studies. Just, just It's just a numbers game. If more end up failing, you're going to have to do more. You're going to test more hypotheses quicker that way. So I think you're going to need more monitors, more sites, more patients. So, this is the big thing. I think you're going to, if you're going to do more studies, I mean, look at this year with coronavirus, right? And, and some technology involved, although not much. You needed more of everything, not less. And that's your last segment there. That's exactly the question that comes to mind. So, Technology doesn't really change the need for patients, and it won't help with the recruitment of patients, I would assume. Um, so would trials really fail faster? Because you're still going to have a lag in bringing on patients, right? Unless you, unless you tackle that, that problem and, and have uh, faster recruitment numbers, you're still going to, the studies are still going to run long. I would think. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's the fundamental problem is training. Well, first of all, it's patience, right? That's the biggest problem, lack of patience. That's why we're doing Latinos in clinical research. That's why other groups are doing black women in research, black male in research. It's the patience is the hard part, right? And then a diversity of patients on top of that is the hard part. And then it's training staff and finding new staff to work these studies. That's the hard part, and that technology does not do anything really outside of maybe social media for recruiting patients to solve those problems. Technology 
at best, can help the operations run smoother. It's not going to do anything to get more patients in. It's not going to do anything to attract more awareness among high school and college students to look for work in clinical research, to have an interest in clinical research, right? That's going to be all of our jobs to do from the grassroots approach. This is why we're doing the Latinos in clinical research and things like that. This is why we're doing the podcast, why we're writing the book. Technology, pharma would love if technology was a solution to everything, but it's not going to. In my opinion, I'll go out and limb and say that technology will not save this industry. So, again, just to finish, I suppose, finish this conversation and move on to the slides. But so, do you think that technology will uh, accelerate trials, right? Yes. So, would that be from the perspective of analyzing the data so that yes. they know whether or not there's efficacy? Is that where you're at? But still yep. have a problem and with the patient. And designing the studies. The, uh, more intelligently, using AI and things like that to design more efficient studies to, to cut down on the amendments and screen fails, unnecessary screen fails. Okay. Uh, uh, but it does nothing to drive awareness. You know, clinical research, I mean, look at, just look at COVID this year, right? There's a huge distrust uh, against pharma from the average Joe and Jane. You know, here I'm here in Mexico right now for the holidays, and you know what's trending? Uh, I forgot the translation for it, but it's a hashtag saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated. That's trending. In Mexico? In Mexico. It's not just a United States problem. It's a global problem. There's distrust for pharma. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we are all patients. And technology is not doing anything to um, gain trust of patients. That's going to come down to human beings doing it. Grassroots approach. This is the whole reason why we're doing Latinos in clinical research. This is the whole idea for why we need more people on TikTok and Instagram just sharing little bits of their life from working in research so that people who are not in the industry Learn more about it. And guess what? The fact that me, and you could probably say the same thing, the fact that we work in research, people that we know, right, are more likely to be in a study than if we weren't in research because we are like a testimony to clinical research. We're like an ambassador of clinical research. And I really believe everybody who works in the industry is an ambassador to research whether they know it or not, and that has nothing to do with technology. But, but even that being said, the ambassador part there, I'm even leery of taking this vaccine just because it was it was accelerated to such a point that uh, how safe do we really know it is? I mean, I'm concerned about taking it. So right. I think it's right. legitimate concern. It didn't go through the thorough testing that a vaccine or any other IP would typically go through. Right, right. And that's that's the whole thing is this this vaccine is really exposing a lot of the problems because most clinical trials are uh, fairly safe. Right. And there's not a lot of negative connotation associated with the with the drugs being tested as there is with the vaccine that's out for Alzheimer's for oncology 
patients are not looking at those treatments as something bad. You know, they're looking at those things as opportunities to find solutions for improving their quality of life. So there's a lot that, there's a lot of work that needs to be done outside of technology. And I, I, it's a pet peeve of mine when the industry looks at technology as uh, a one-stop solution for solving every single problem in clinical research. It's just very naive, in my opinion. It's not going to happen. I would agree. All right, so yeah. should we move on to the first slide? Yeah, I'm kind of tired of looking at this robot, so let's move on <laughs> to the slide two. There you go. Although it's a handsome robot. Uh, slide two. Clinical research and new technology. And I wonder how, how many of these slides we have already covered in our opening monologue here. Uh, and by the way, if you have questions, type them in the comment section. Yeah, we have one one comment already. Let's hear the comment. All right. So Judy says, um, I agree with what Dan is saying. Technology will help improve various aspects of research, parts of a clinical trial, but the main work still involves the research staff. Trust with the participant, the relationship between the research staff and the site. I also agree with the distrust in the community with research vaccine, and even clinical trials. Right now, there seems to be a lot out there on remote trials, but we're removing the human aspect of trials, and participants do not want that. The sponsors do. And I would agree, well, especially with that last sentiment there, statement. I couldn't have said it better myself. And is, is that the Judy we know? Judy Galindo? Yeah. yeah. Ah, how's it going, Judy? Welcome to the webinar. I mean... You should be hosting this webinar with the stuff you're doing at your site. You know, it's, it goes to show that it's a lot of grassroots and it's not very much technology, but the sponsors seem to think otherwise. Uh, so you want to read these slides, Chris? I've been doing a lot of talking here. Sure. Clinical research and new technology. The, the clinical research industry is slowly adapting new technology, which is changing the way sponsors, CROs, sites, and patients are involved. Virtual trials are becoming more common. These trials are a sign that the research industry wants to rely more on technology. And certainly, um, the reliance on technology can potentially reduce costs and, as you had stated initially, Dan, speed up the trial. Yeah, let's move to slide three because this is where everybody is concerned. This is where slide two naturally makes 90% of people ask this question. Will sites, uh, will be sites be replaced? And the answer, let me just tell you the answer, and Carlos put it there so that we can just even skip the rest of the slide. The answer is no, <laughs> with the exclamation mark and underlined in red. So it's no, with a lot of emphasis on no. And I would agree with that, but do you think eventually, you know, 50 years from now, that that could be the case? 50 years from now, Chris, I don't even know if, like, we're going to be in our own body. Well, you know, I'm just giving some subjective numbers. So, you know, it could be 10 years. It could be five. I'm just saying, do you think technology could eventually replace sites? And I would say yes. I would still say no, because we have to remember who's running these studies, and it's pharma. And I don't think pharma is going to gain people's trust in 50 years. I think it's going to take, like, at least 100 years for them to gain trust regain yeah. trust of uh, the average Joe and James. They're the least trusted 
Yeah, I know. I think after tobacco, or maybe even worse than tobacco. They are. I think they're the least. Stuff. The least trusted industry in the world is what? It might be pharma number one. I know it's at least top three. I think it is number one. At least I saw that a couple of years ago. It was number one, I think. Yeah, and they they that they by far have the most lobbyists. Um, they they spend the most on lobbyists. So there's a huge distrust amongst pharma. So you need the sites. Like I was talking about ambassadors earlier, the sites are really the conduit, the ambassador between the pharma and the average Joe and James, who has a medical condition, right? And so I don't think they will be because if you replace them, who's going to do that? It's going to be pharma, and they can't go direct to patients. They don't have trust. Nobody wants to do that. Um, I think it's going to take about a hundred years for them to regain that trust, but they're they're not moving in that direction. I mean, they they're trying with patient centricity and things like that, but what does that really mean? I mean, they're trying to make the studies a little more inclusive. Uh, they're trying to make the studies a little easier on the patients. They're trying to get the patient's input on how to design some studies in a lot of cases. So they're, they're trying to get more patient-centric, but at the end of the day, they're not doing anything differently fundamentally than what they have been doing for the last 100 years. So the last two years, just to answer the question, the least trusted industry is financial services for the last two years. Okay. The pharma's probably tough to read then. Probably. I can't find a list. I just Google's telling me it's financial services. It's the least trusted yeah. industry. Yeah, so I mean can can sites be replaced? You know, that answer could be maybe. Will sites be replaced? I have to say no right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's possible. I think it's low on the probability scale. Well, the reason I the only reason I say that I because I think there's a desire on the money side, right? You gotta follow the money to replace sites. I mean that's their ultimate goal. So well I shouldn't say ultimate, but that's certainly one of their goals. They would love right. to be able to replace sites. So Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And they made no secret about this too. Like they would love to just have a few sites instead of having so many and it's still not being enough. I mean, we need more sites right now, not less. We need more CRAs right now, not less. We need more coordinators now, not less. There's not a single site out there that is not in need of a coordinator right now. I mean, just (laughs) very few. If there are any, they're probably getting ready to shut down or something. Mm -hmm. Most sites I know are looking to hire because there's a lot of demand right now from studies, from sponsors looking for more sites. Right. Yep. And uh, the second bullet point is more likely what I think is going to happen. More likely, technology and traditional trials will coexist. This is because some trials cannot be done virtually only. I think most of them right now cannot be done virtually only. Some trials require procedures that cannot be done from home, such as imaging centers, not only that, but I found that patients are more compliant when they actually come into the office mm-hmm. um, because they kind of have to answer to someone like, "Hey, did yeah, you the human element?" Yeah, did you do your EKG? Um, you know, it, <laughs> perfect example is me, and I'm going to talk about this next week. But I had COVID, 
and I was in a compassionate use study, which was basically a virtual trial. Um, and they gave me an EKG, and I was supposed to wear it every day for 10 days. And I know that I'm never going to have to go to the site. So guess what? Some nights I didn't feel like sleeping with wires on, on my body. And guess what? I didn't do it because I know I don't have to really answer it anymore. It's a virtual trial. I mean, somebody's going to text me and say, did you wear it? I'm going to say I wore it most of the time, right? Like I'm left, uh, <laughs> I have less re responsibility basically because I don't have a rapport with the person on the other end who's asking me to do it. And I think you're going to see this at scale with compliance when it comes to virtual. I think even most patients prefer to actually go in on certain occasions. They don't necessarily prefer to go in every single visit. So this is where I think hybrid trials are going to come into play. But most patients do want to go into the clinic occasionally. Not every visit, but occasionally they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely uh, agree with that. And, I, and for certain, I agree with what you're saying about uh, virtual trials and compliance. I think if there's no human element involved, people are much more likely if for just the simple fact of being lazy not to do things, right? right You're more inclined right. when there's an influence from a human to be compliant. Unless the researcher is on it, literally on a Zoom call with the patient multiple times a day uh, to make sure, but then they don't have the time for that. And if, you're, if your virtual trial is going to require that from the researcher, you're going to need way more researchers than you currently have. And it's going to be more costly also. Yeah, exactly. We'll save it on the cost. Yeah. So this is the ultimate reason for this. That's the long answer to this slide three, guys. We should have, we could have just ended it on no and moved on, but I guess you had to hear some rationale. All right. And again, again, guys, we're not like uh, a guru. I mean, our, the name's Clinical Trial Guru, but we're not gurus. We're not fortune tellers. We have no idea uh, what's going to happen in the future. This is just what I think, and then Chris shares what he thinks, and as you see people from the audience share what they think, the site, or the, uh, where the industry is headed. So these are just opinions. This is not like we're not stating facts. Yeah, and I don't think you could take anybody in the industry and, and get a for certain answer. I mean, you could take the CEO of J&J uh, or Pfizer, and they couldn't be certain where the industry is going. Sure, and here's another thing for just if you're going to objectively assess this this question, you know, always look at who is answering the question. If it's a tech vendor and you ask them, do you think sites will be replaced? Do you think technology is going to replace sites? If you're a tech vendor, you probably have an incentive to want that to occur because that means the market share is basically going to the tech vendor. You're becoming more of a site as well. Um, if you're asking a sponsor this question, they would love to see sites be replaced uh, for the most part, even though they say they don't, they would. So always look at who's answering the question. I mean, if you look, and, and even us, you know, we're site owners. So, of course, we have a stake in us. We, we're stakeholders. We don't want sites to be replaced. 
So our answers tend to lean towards, no, they won't be replaced. Everybody's going to have their optimism bias. Right. Just be aware of who is giving you the um, color commentary. That's all I'm saying. Even yep. when it's up. Yep, completely agree. All right. So uh, will sites be replaced part two, I guess. This is slide four. Yep. Probably probably cover a lot of this, but hybrid trials. This is, yeah, exactly what I just talked about. Hybrid trials. Uh, ask staff to see patients from home, but use sites to receive IP, dispense IP, enter data, upload source. If anything, I do think the industry is headed in this direction. Uh, and what's that going to mean? That's going to mean sites are going to be busier than ever before. Because the industry, if we move towards hybrid trials, the industry is going to want to do more studies. And sites are going to be doing more studies and seeing more patients. And we're going to need more patients. And it all boils down to that. But I still, sorry, I still think this boils back down to what type of study is it? Because many studies, you cannot do this, right? This first bullet point, um, mm -hmm. you cannot dispense IP to the patient remotely, right? You can't mail it to them, especially if it's, say, an infusion trial. How's that going to happen? I mean, right. maybe, maybe the nurse goes to the patient's house, potentially. But I just think yeah. the logistics are, are too difficult to accomplish from, uh, in a hybrid trial. There's still going to be massive amounts of trials done completely at the site. That's right. That's right. Um, technology may open the door for more clinical trial design. This is where I think technology is going to be powerful in the sense that uh, just like with AlphaFold, right, we can predict how a protein is going to fold, which is going to change the way drugs are design in the lab. Same thing with clinical trials, right? With the AI, we're going to be able to predict uh, which trials are more likely to be successful than not based on previous inclusion-exclusion criteria and things like that. So they're going to be able to design trials better to hopefully have a lower screen fill rate and higher retention rates and things like that. So I'm actually very excited about that when we have AI start helping with designing trials we're not, uh, we're just barely getting into the uh, beginnings of this and, mm -hmm. and not even really fully uh, there yet, even that. So that, that's coming this decade for sure. Um, and again, that's going to make more studies. And mm -hmm. the rate determining step is having more patients because it's great that we have the capacity to do more trials, but are we going to be able to fill up those studies? Because remember, one patient can only do one study. They can't do multiple studies at the same time. Yep. So you need new people. Uh, slide five. Uh, we got a couple comments here, and I may be a little late, so they may have been for the previous slide or slides. By the way, we got to tell Carlos to start putting your picture on the bottom as well. I, I don't like that it's just me down there. Uh, uh, okay. I don't see why we need a Chris Sauber <laughs> on the other side, on the other corner. Uh, I don't need a meme. Put in the comments if you want to see a Chris Sauber cartoon as well. It's too much Dan. Too much Dan, okay. So uh, <laughs> so Judy says, uh, we barely can get our participants to be compliant with diaries, and that's an issue. In I can't imagine putting more responsibility <laughs> on the participants to do it at home. To do it at home and expect them to do it without being on site and to be compliant. 
Exactly, Judy. Thank you so much. I just talked about my EKG. My diary is empty. I have a di- I was given a diary. It's like the first three pages are there because I was excited about the study. And then I was over it because I started feeling better uh, from COVID. So, yeah, I'm not compliant, and I understand the importance of being compliant in studies. Yeah. Excellent point, Judy. Did Judy say anything else? Yeah, she, uh, just the summary. She basically says she would prefer they come to the site. The compliance is better all right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And this is someone, this is something people don't talk about, these vendors, because the vendors have no interest. They have no incentive in letting sponsors know, hey, you know, our technology is great, but guess what? Patients are going to be slightly less compliant with a, with a virtual as opposed to physical site visits. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not a good selling point for them. Yep. Completely agree. And then uh, Sandra Warren says, Dan Chris, how will the regulations regarding clinical trials be changed in the future? Well, they're changing already. I mean, we had the uh, 2016 GCP revisions, which um, created a framework for risk-based monitoring, which now depends who you ask, but I think risk-based monitoring is kind of ingrained into most studies. Uh, so it's not anything special anymore. It's just the new norm based on my discussions with different sponsors, although I'm still seeing more traditional monitoring, which is 100% source data verification than risk-based. Uh, so the FDA is already doing this. They're, they've already put electronic signatures as being the equivalent of paper signatures. So regulations will change as the technologies change. Uh, but, I mean, it's nothing different, really. GCP is still going to apply. And risk-based monitoring, I mean, they've been pushing for that for, what, at least five, six years now? And at yeah. best, 10% of studies are risk-based? I mean, it's very few. That's what I'm saying. It's very few that come out outright and say we're doing risk-based monitoring. But I'm thinking maybe more of them just have it built in already to the point where it's the new normal and there's no need to discuss that. But as a CRA, this is one of the benefits of being a generalist. I could see different sides of the uh, coin here. As a CRA, mm-hmm. a, a contract CRA, um, I've never done a risk-based monitoring. Uh, I take that back. I've done one risk-based monitoring study. The rest have been traditional. And guess which ones have more problems, by the way? Sure, the risk-based, the absolutely. Risk-based. <laughs> the risk-based. There's less oversight. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. But eventually, that's why I say it's not radical changes. It's gradual, boring changes to the point where you won't even realize the technology is here when it is here. Well, I mean, really to speak of, and I think this, this gives an idea on timeline, the last radical change in the industry was about a dozen years ago with with the when it changed over to EDC, right? That was the last true radical change, and that was a dozen years ago. Right. The next radical change is um, e-source, and you can argue telehealth, you know, virtual, being the patient virtually. Things just move very slowly in this industry. Very slow. It's very gradual and very boring. It's nothing uh, radical, which is what you're led to believe. Okay, Sandra has a follow-up. She says, she says 
make sense things. Do you both think that clinical trials for indications other than COVID-19 are being given the appropriate amount of attention and precedence? Uh, wait, can you repeat that? Do you both think that clinical trials for indications other than COVID-19 are being given the appropriate amount of attention and precedence? Uh, that's a good question. I think, yes, from my, just from my experiences this year, I think, yeah. So, I, see, I might differ on that a little. I, there's certainly less trials, there's certainly, in my opinion, less trials and other indications right now. So there's more of a, a look at and a desire to look in COVID-19 because, I mean, an industry, it's a business. So business goes where the money is. And right now it's in COVID. So mm -hmm. I think there are less, not significantly, but I would say probably 25% in all of their indications, except for maybe oncology, um, because they're, they're putting their emphasis on COVID-19. That's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's just how you interpret the question, because I'm, you know, we're working on studies that are not COVID-related. Of course. And there's plenty of attention. I mean, I see no difference than other years on those studies. Other than monitors doing remote visits right now instead of on-site visits, unless they're local. If they're a local monitor that, that doesn't need to fly and the site allows in-person visits, I know myself as a monitor, I'm, I have one site that I am, or two sites that I'm going to um, physically, and then one site that I'm doing remotely as mm -hmm. a monitor. And as a site, we're allowing our CRAs to come in, um, all of them, if they want to. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the way I interpreted that question is uh, a little differently than you. But yeah, I guess we're both uh, saying the same thing. Okay, so Laura asked, Dan, would you please repeat the three radical changes? Uh, if I said there were three, I have no idea what they are. <laughs> I, I just said there are no ra there are not going to be any radical changes. So I guess the answer is zero. There are no radical changes in the industry. I guess uh, what she was saying was you were saying the first radical change was EDC, right? From paper to CRF, which was a dozen and years ago. Two, yeah, and then the other two that I said that happened more recently are telehealth visits and e-source. And e -source. So I guess those are the three most radical changes we've seen in the last two decades. And those, um, those two that you just mentioned, those aren't fully implemented. I mean, most sites are still working on in paper sores. So, right, right. It's, and it's most not sites like are not doing telehealth visits. Right. I mean, right. we. I think our sites have done telehealth visits like when the pandemic first started, when the sponsor would allow us to just call the patients. And do right. uh, you know visits over the phone? But sponsor did not prefer that, nor did the site, nor did the patient, for that matter. Uh, so when we say these are radical changes, they occurred slowly, and they definitely don't have the penetration that um, you would think. If if all you were doing were on LinkedIn all day and just following clinical research influencers, 
you would think that technology is on autopilot right now and the, the industry is running like like a machine, like with a robot. And that's not the case. And you need, I mean, we've never needed human resource more than we need now. And uh, EDC predates my experience in the industry, and I know it kind of predates yours as well, but how long did it take for EDC to completely take over? Like five, six uh, years? Well, so I entered the industry in 2005 full time, and 2005 we were using paper for paper. For all CRM studies? For, for so in 2005, studies. there was no yeah, EDC in 2005. There was no, I was not using any EDC in 2005. This is all anecdotal, just me. And then in 2006, I was not using any paper CRF anymore. Okay, so, so but happened, you don't. That happened quickly for me, but I, I think that also took about five to 10 years to be fully implemented to that point. So EDC probably was out and about. You just had no experience with it. Right. I had like four studies when I first started and they were all paper-based. Okay. But yeah, so, I would imagine that took five years to get fully implemented. So I think they started like in 2000 and uh, started talking about it in 2000 and uh, by 2006, it was being used on 100% or as close to 100% of trials as you can get. Well, some trials still do use paper CRS. I yes. mean, we're working on a trial right now, but that's the case. Some investigator initiated some uh, in Europe. Um, they, use, they still use paper CRS a lot. Yeah, it's um, cheaper. It, it is cheaper, yeah. You still need to pay data management, but you can kind of defer those costs until the end of the study as opposed to yep. the ongoing basis. Yep. Um, and then Sandra is asking if, they, if she can get a recording of this. If Chris hit the record button, Sandra, you'll get it. And I did. Well, I didn't hit it. It just automatically started recording. Ah, technology working the way it should. Exactly. All right, so we're going to move on to slide five now. Uh, yeah, this is going to take a while. We're We're only halfway through the slide. Wow, you guys are getting your money for us today. Yeah, that's uh, free. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's not hard to get your money to us. Yeah, well, it depends on what they think of us, but sure. Um, Leave in the comments what you think of us. All right, you're going to read the slide? Uh, one of the main one of the main reasons that sites are here to stay is that access to patients comes from sites. Exactly, Carlos, you are amazing at making these slides because you know exactly what I'm gonna say and what Chris is gonna say, and that's why you make these slides and resonate with me. Okay. Well, you've heard yeah. us do this a thousand times. Yes, and we've talked about the sites being the ambassadors to the patients. You can't replace that. What are you going to do when you get rid of all the ambassadors, right? You're going to have the pharma and you're going to have the patients. Who's going to enroll them? PRAs? PRAs, there's some PRAs that have never interacted with patients ever in their lives because they've never worked as coordinators or anything else. Mm-hmm. How's that going to work? Yeah. Um, it's not. It's the answer. Yeah. Quick funny, quick funny story. Um, working at a site, uh, the a CRA was there, and the study she was there for, she had a question about a patient chart, 
And it just so happened that patient was at the site that day. And I told her, I said, well, you can go ask the patient yourself. The patient's here. And she was like, I've never spoke to a patient. I, I wouldn't know how to do that. I was like, well, it's a simple question you're asking. I don't care if you ask the patient. Go ahead. And she wouldn't do it. It was funny. Yeah, I think they're not allowed to. Well, she was she was concerned. And I, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know if they're allowed to or not. But she didn't either. And she didn't want to breach some sort of, you know, uh, privacy thing. And so she just didn't do it. I said, okay, fine. I'll go ask the question. I'll bring you the answer. I'm actually glad you brought that story up. Um, I didn't hear about it until now. I'm glad you brought that up because that right there is what we're trying to say this whole time is that sites are the ones that do that. Like, yep. PRAs, they're out of their comfort zone. Pharma, even worse. Yeah. And you know, how are you, you going to be able to communicate, relate, have empathy for the patient if you don't deal with them on a daily basis? That's right. And you, and you know the CRA, and I was just, you know, I have a good relationship with her, and I was just teasing her. I didn't expect her to go talk to the patient. It was, it was Lonnie, if you remember Lonnie. Oh, yeah, Lonnie. We love Lonnie. I wonder what happened to her. She was going to be the CRA Academy instructor. Yeah, she, I think she retired. I don't think she's in. Man, in... she missed out. She missed out on an opportunity of her life. Yep. Uh, I was being a little uh, facetious, but, yeah, she missed out. Yep. Uh, but yeah, great story actually. It just goes to show what we've been trying to say. Um, I think people from pharma, from the industry, and you know, you've been to DIA with me, and as soon as they have conferences again, especially in San Diego, you're going to go to the next one with me. Yeah. Um, we've talked to these people, Chris. They think they know everything that needs to be known about patient centricity and when you ask them to just like you said have a go ask the, the patient yourself all of a sudden they can't do it or yeah. they don't know ivory so tower sorry yeah. ivory tower syndrome exactly exactly right so um there's a huge disconnect there and not to just focus on that too much but that's kind of the whole point of this webinar is technology is great it's inevitable it's uh it's going to change a lot of things for the better, but it's not going to solve the fundamental problems. Uh, mm -hmm. The blocking and tackling, if you will. Yep. Sponsors are driving the move towards added technology and clinical research because they want to reduce the cost of research. However, some sites believe that they're using telehealth might discourage or limit patient participation. I said it, Chris said it, Judy said it, other people in the audience have said it. They make that thing. Uh, slide six, we talk about e-source. This is your favorite, Chris. Well, my favorite, but I know you like it. Well, have at it. All right, electronic source. One of the technologies that sites are adapting to is e-source. Sites are using e-source because of the convenience of standardizing visits and reducing paper costs. It's certainly true. Um, I even think eventually it will reduce costs overall even for the sponsors. If, if and when they implement eSource and it's directly connected to EDC, I think they'll be able to pay sites less because it will take some time for the coordinators. There'll be no data entry. 
I think that is a goal of theirs. Again, reduce costs. It's a business. Um, right. Even though eSource is beneficial, there are many sites that will most likely be resistant to changing the types of sources used. And certainly this is true as well. You had the same experience with EDC. Everybody was freaking out about EDC when it started getting initiated in the industry, right? Right, right. There's always... Yeah, there's that's, always that's, the other, that's the other side of this. You know, we've been bashing uh, pharma and tech vendors pumping uh, technology solutions. But we also need to bash the sites that are afraid of these things. And not bash, but you know, kind of put them in the right place. I mean, we need to be um, a little more uh, centrist on these issues if we can, because the sites that are afraid, the CRAs that are afraid of losing their jobs, that's not going to be the case. That's never been the case when technology occurred. It's always that the jobs change, usually for the better. They change, and you have to adapt. If you don't adapt, that's where the problem becomes. Mm -hmm. Like if you refuse to adapt, you're going to be left behind. But if you go with the change, you ride the wave, your life's going to be better, not worse. And this is this is kind of where I'm at with resource. You know, I used to be against it a couple of years ago because I thought, well, the staff's going to make more mistakes with it and it's going to cause more problems. Actually, at least from the from the one study I've done with resource, uh, not the case. You know, it's actually a really good technology. You don't have to do headers anymore. You don't have to date. It dates for you. You can yeah, simplify. Pretty awesome. Yeah, simplify things. Mm -hmm. And then last bullet point here. Unfortunately, there aren't enough sites that are using this technology. That'll change. These yep. will change. Just like with EDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sponsors and eSource, like seven. We're, we're, we're plugging away. Guys, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, leave them. Also, I didn't hear any responses to Chris's cartoon character being on these slides in the future. Yeah, because they don't want to see me. Know. Yeah, they don't want to see me. That's all that means. So we have a question. I work in a laboratory participating in various aspects of research. Can we use eSource as an option for data sharing? I work in a lab. Yeah, I don't think from a laboratory's perspective would eSource be beneficial. I don't see the reason for eSource in a lab environment. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I understand the lab um, operations well enough to have a comment on that. But I, the I, don't know, I don't understand the paperwork that goes into... Uh, well, let's look at it this way. The purpose of e-sources is to gather data, right, specific to the patient. And certainly there is data gathered at a lab. Right. But, well, I guess you would be sharing it. You would be sharing it with the sponsor. But I think there's other ways the data is shared with the sponsor. I don't see why you would need e-source for that. Uh, right. I think that, you know, what I've seen from labs, like when you work at a site or a CRA, your only experience with labs is seeing the results. And right. I have seen electronic lab records, if that's kind of e-source. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm not sure, like, what this person's asking. Maybe they're asking, like, internally at the lab, um, well, can they use e-source and data so, sharing? I'm not sure. So the ultimate goal with e-source, I would, 
I think, I believe, like I mentioned in the previous slide, would be for eSource to be directly connected to EDC, right? So the site enters data into the eSource, then it's directly transferred from eSource to EDC. I would think that's the ultimate goal because that would save time and cost. Um, right. The same thing, I guess, could happen with, with the labs, right, where the, the lab would just upload the results to the e-source. And that's yeah. EDC, maybe? Well, I do know that eventually e-source and EDC will integrate. Exactly. Uh, we're probably a few years away from that. We're probably a few years away from e-source becoming the norm and paper source becoming passe. And then once that happens, then we're probably a few years away from eSource and EDC integrating. So I think by 2030, as just my best educated guess, uh, eSource and EDC are integrated, fully integrated. Um, and I think that's where we can start increasing capacity of the number of studies that sites can do. I think right. that's where it gets really interesting. And at that point where they're integrated, you might see the labs using e-source in a roundabout way, I would imagine. Exactly. And patient-reported outcomes, which are the diaries right. that Judy was talking about earlier. Once all that stuff gets integrated, um, it, it becomes a little more manageable for the site. And I think that's where we're just going to have more studies at that mm -hmm. point. All right, I have another question. And you both share your opinions. What are some ways to maximize your clinical trial budget? Maximize the budget? Well, kind of off topic, but I don't know if you want a two-minute answer, Chris, for me. Well, I mean, you certainly, when it comes to using eSource, a lot of sponsors will pay for that, if that's what you mean, if it's you know related to the slides here. Um, you, many sponsors will reimburse sites for their use of e-source and e-regulatory for that matter. Um, so you certainly can ask for that. Um, I'm not going to go off on a large tangent. Okay, yes, she, she says yes, related to e-source. So certainly you can ask for reimbursement for these costs. Um, whatever your costs are. We use Creo. Um, so I know there's a startup fee for that. And, and what I mean to that is for them to create the electronic source, they have a, a beginning charge for that. I think it's like 2500 or might be more, 5000 somewhere. It's 5000 or less. So I know your, your sponsor well, oftentimes will reimburse you for that cost. Um, and then there's an ongoing charge, and some will and some won't reimburse for that cost as well. But certainly for the startup of the e-source, many sponsors will reimburse for that. Right. And you can see on these bullet points on slide seven, you know, these are things we discussed. We discussed, obviously, remote monitoring. If you're using e-source, it's a non-issue, right? You can do remote monitoring. Um, although there's still benefits of physical monitoring visits beyond just source data verification, right? There's and, and beyond just regulatory binder, because the e-regs, you know, electronic regulatory, which is bullet point three, are also growing, and that's going to become the norm, too. But monitoring is more than just reviewing the documents. Monitoring is also about 
training and being proactive and making sure sites are following protocol and making sure everything's run smoothly as well. So there still is a, an advantage of in-person monitoring visits. It just may not no longer have to be every single monitoring visit, uh, which we're going to get to that point too. So again, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? It doesn't mean that monitoring is not going to be needed anymore. Probably going to be needed more. Um, sponsors may benefit from eliminating the expense of having to pay site coordinators for entering the data. This will be when the great convergence happens with uh, eSource and EDC. I don't know if that's a, a, a phrase for it, but if not, we just coined it, the great convergence when EDC and Source will integrate. Uh, so that'll happen, I think, before 2030, in my opinion. Uh, slide eight, recruitment. Before we move on, I just wanted to add on to Sandra's question about the budget. Uh, the simplest way to look at this, Sandra, is any expense your site incurs uh, due to a specific study, always ask for reimbursement of those expenses. Everything. Anything you anticipate as far as an expense, ask the sponsor for reimbursement or payment of that. So whatever it might be. Right. Slide eight. You want to read this slide? All right. Recruitment and electronic source. One of the one of the least expected benefits to e-source is that sites can potentially find new ways to recruit. Um, from a CRA perspective, e-source allows for easier monitoring, which also frees up time for CRAs to interact with sites and provide more resources for recruitment. Electronic source can reduce the amount of source data verification overall workload for monitors. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's true unless it's, again, integrated with EDC. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's what Carlos is getting at is when the great convergence happens. Right. I think we can start so. calling it that the great convergence. The great convergence. All right. Yeah. That'll be the new the new phrase. Okay. Essentially, sites. There you go. Uh, essentially, sites can use some of that, of the time that eSource frees up to pursue recruitment strategies. Certainly can, or they just get caught up on other work. Not up on other work, but what's the most important work is getting patience for these studies. In regards to the sponsors, certainly. And for the sites making money as well. That's right. That's right. Slide number nine. There are several patient recruitment and retention tools that are being developed to help sites with patient management and retention. Um, I know some that do texting. I know one company in particular called Mozio. Uh, they do texting. I know Creo. Creo that we were just talking about with the eSource. Their founder, Raymond, is a really smart guy. And guess what? He started out at the site level as a generalist. This is why he's able to find solutions to all these problems. I know he has a, a texting uh, service for patients as well, which is really cool. It's integrated into the source and the CTMF. Um, so there are, you know, technology will help with uh, retention, patient reminders, uh, patient recruitment. It can help as well if you can get the awareness of the patient from an ad or something similar 
get them to opt into a texting uh, communication platform and then start texting them appropriate studies. Um, that remains to be seen that just how effective that will be, but that's what some patient recruitment firms are doing right now. Um, but that's not new technology, nor is it radical. That's been around for a decade at least, um, which is a practical option. Um, and uh, patients that have been pre-screened in the past, they're also texting for study opportunities. That is good too, but again, nothing radical or drastic. We're not talking about artificial intelligence here. We're talking about texting. Uh, finally, slide 10, the last slide. Thank you guys for staying so late. And uh, we'll get your comments in now, questions in now, because it's the last slide. Uh, patient safety. So that's the first thing to consider, right? All This is great if we make the trials more efficient and we get more trials, but not at the expense of patient safety. Okay, that's always the first thing to consider, regardless of technology or not decentralized, virtual, hybrid, or other forms of trials must be designed in such a way that patient safety is always at the center. Technology such as eSource has a greater chance of being adopted uh, because of the flexibility in which it supports PI oversight, a very good uh, takeaway by Carlos here. eSource allows for greater levels of PI oversight. And back to the lab question, you know, same thing there. If the PI can access the lab results remotely, PI can offer better oversight. Mm -hmm. uh, a PI can review the source or the lab and make progress notes from any time and place. That's going to enhance patient safety. That's going to make it almost impossible for eSource to not be the norm, like I predict in the next three to five years. Yeah, I completely agree. That's it with the slides. So we hand it off to Chris to see if there's any questions. From there the isn't. The last comment is smiley face. The last comment was what? It's a smiley face. Oh, Emotion. smiley face. Well, right back at you. <laughs> I'm smiling. There you go. Thank you very much. And uh, Chris, why don't you tell them about the good, great deals we're offering CRA, CRC Academy students, and also our um, site network services? Uh, you're welcome, Judy. Judy says thanks for a great webinar. So we offer client services um, for $12.99 a month. We're readily available to help with most everything that goes on at site level. Um, Primarily, we help with business development. Secondarily, we'll negotiate your budget and contract. And Dan and I are available to answer any questions you may have. Um, yeah, it's all about yeah. getting studies, getting paid more on those studies, doing those studies better, unlimited questions and calls for a flat monthly fee, $1,299. Uh, and we can prepare source documents for you and help guide you in any number of other aspects in terms of research. Um, mm -hmm. Then we offer a CRC Academy. So if you have any staff, if you're a site and you have new staff that's been hired and you'd like a training program for them, um, we offer a CRC Academy. It's 
$3,000 for a three-month course. And lastly, we have a CRA Academy. If you're interested in trying to become a CRA in the industry or some other position at sponsor level, um, the training is appropriate for that. And that's, a, again, a three-month course, and that costs about $5,000. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. So thanks for staying tuned to our sales pitch at the end, and hopefully you find some value here. As we move into another year, you're going to be hearing a lot about technology. Just remember what Dan and Chris told you. Okay. A couple of takeaways here. This technology will not be radical. It will be gradual and boring. Um, you will not be replaced, but you do have to adapt when the uh, situation calls for it. And always remember who's telling you what they're telling you regards to technology, even when it's us. Yep. And we have people commenting, saying thank you, uh, great information and such. And they want to know, will the recording automatically be emailed to them? How do they get it? Yeah, it's not automatic, but I will send it uh, as soon as the recording's processed to everybody that registered. Uh, so even if you're not on right now, you will get it if you registered. Okay. So basically, it'll be it's the email list you use, and you just send it to everybody. Yeah, basically, if you registered, you'll get it. It'll come from any meeting. Uh, I think it comes from Dan Sarah, but it, it'll be on any meeting, and it'll be a link, and then you put your email that you use to register for this webinar, and you can watch the replay. Or I can make it simpler and just upload it to YouTube and send it to everybody that way. It's easier. Whatever's easiest for you, probably what works best. Yeah, right? I'll do. Uh, I'll probably do both. Send it. Send it out to everybody here first. You guys get it first, and then the general public will get it when it's on YouTube. All right. So if you're watching and listening on YouTube, I'm gonna do one more sales pitch. If you want to be live on these things, you got to go to the blog at clinicaltrialsguru.com. Put your email address in there. I don't spam you. Uh, I email like once a month. Also, text the word guru to 31996. That's 31996. Good things will happen eventually if you do this. And uh, yeah, that's all, all I have to say now. Thank you, everybody. Have a happy new year. Chris, you and I will do one more of these for our Site Owner Academy on Thursday. Yep. Uh, we could pick the topic, and we have a few slides left. And so that'll be on YouTube and the podcast as well this week. And we appreciate it, guys. Have a happy, happy new, new year. year. Happy New Year, and everyone. Catch you in 2021.